Which way is catering with Justine and Bruce? Served up by Variety Attractions, celebrating 60 years of entertainment excellence. This episode of Which Way is Catering with Justine and Bruce is brought to you by Brannigan, Inc. For nearly two decades, Brannigan, Inc. has energized brands in the entertainment industry, helping fairs and festivals connect with audiences. Their creative, results-driven marketing approach drives attendance and makes communications fun. Check them out at BranniganInc.com. Also, this episode is brought to you by Spectrum Weather Insurance. Spectrum Weather Insurance provides a variety of rain, heat, severe weather, and event cancellation insurance customized for your specific event. They have the experience and expertise that hundreds of events rely on each year. Visit them at SpectrumWeatherInsurance.com. to record an episode of which way is catering but i can tell you where the woodworking area is which way is shop class with justine and bruce <laughs> i remember shop class in yeah. high school and that was like seventh or eighth grade you had shop class and our metal shop class the guy's name was mr magnarini oh that's a great name yeah. and Always 10 minutes before the bell rang, he would always go, clean up. (laughs) So you'd have to clean up your project if you're making a pooper scooper out of a tin can (laughs) or. um, (laughs) Please tell me you actually made that. Yes. Oh, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. And then you had to solder the handle on and it was like a pooper scooper that you cut out of a can. Do you still have it? No. Oh. Out of all of the stuff in this house, you don't have that? No. There's a lot of poop laying around, but no scooper. Great. I love it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Which Way is Catering with Justine and Bruce. And it's served up by Variety Attractions, celebrating 60 years of entertainment excellence. And today we have a great guest that we've been looking forward to talking to on our podcast. It's the CEO of the International Association of Fairs and Expositions. It's Marla Calico. Marla? Hey, how are you guys today? It's wonderful to be with you. Oh, thank you. Hey, it's great to have you on our podcast. And, you know, it's always a good thing for Justine and I to have all the heavy hitters of the industry on our (laughs) podcast. So, you know, you're just right up there with the rest of them. So we're really excited about this. First off, Marla, why don't you just kind of tell us you have your own podcast? Why don't you tell us about that? Oh, thanks. Yeah, Marla by the numbers. You know, I was reluctant to the podcast scene. Quite honestly, it just doesn't fit my lifestyle, so I never listened to podcasts. But the team here at IAFE many, many years ago suggested that we have one. I said, eh, it's just a passing fad. And so then this uh, in 2020, as we were looking at ways that we could connect with our members, I challenged the team. I said, okay, what do you want to do? And they said a podcast. I said, oh, no, not again. <laughs> but you know what? They laid it all out. Uh, my one concession was that that they agreed with was that it had to be 30 minutes or less. And so uh, they're short. They're 
bittersweet. We always bring something about the numbers. We, it's either, you know, five tips or three things I've learned. And we've tried to bring in guests from all facets of our association and our membership. And it's been really fun to do. We just, uh, uh, we're in season two right now, eight episodes per season. And I've got, uh, I think everything's recorded for that one except one. And so we're uh, looking forward to it. I, I feel pretty certain we'll do season three. Awesome. That's what we're hoping to be. We're, mm-hmm. we're trying to follow into your footsteps. So, oh, you know, thank hopefully, you. Yeah, hopefully we can uh, get to that point as well. Let's start our conversation today on one of Justine and I's uh, favorite topics, which is craft beer. So <laughs> what, you know, you, you do a lot of traveling and I have a couple in mind that I want to share with you, but have you come across any favorites recently you've tried? Cause we are beer snobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Truly we are. Well, you know, obviously, um, but I haven't had a chance to travel all that much. And when I've been traveling some, I've been somewhat limited on where I can go and what I can do. So I haven't had any very exciting experiences related to, um, travel type beers. I've settled on to something and you know me, Bruce, I, I hardly ever drink the same beer twice in a row, mm-hmm. but uh, Boulevard Brewing out of Kansas City, um, they've got their sixth glass ale, and I just I just love it. It's it's really, it's really, really cool. Of course, you know, I, I like my beers heavy and dark, and I use that untapped app. You use it as well, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And and back in the day when I was traveling a lot, I'd go to a new brewery, and you know, they bring out the paddle with all six tiny little samples, right? But I I would record every single one and I would get this message from untapped. Whoa, there, girls, slow down. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all about the badges. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is all about the badges. And I just haven't had a chance to get any new ones lately. So I am really looking forward to uh, getting back on the road again so I can try some new beers. I'm a fan of Midwest breweries. We live in the Midwest and mm-hmm. there's a couple that I've had recently that I've really enjoyed and probably too much. A couple of my favorites recently, there's a brewery out of Lake Mills, Wisconsin called Tyranina, one called High Class Broad, which is a brown ale aged in brandy barrels, which is so good. The nice thing about Tyranina, they brew excellent beer, but they also have great names for their beer. They have one that's aged in a tequila barrel called a Coco Poco. (laughs) And then this one is good for a podcast, but it's a IPA brewed with honey called balling the queen <laughs> oh my goodness oh my goodness but well, then, was that one good was that one good that was pretty good that was pretty yeah. good but there was another one that i had from founders brewing in oh. michigan uh-huh. was a moss agave beer Ooh. that was aged in tequila barrels let me just tell you, I had two mas agave. <laughs> I had to look on Untapped to get the exact name of this. We've got a great brewery. Well, actually, here in Springfield, uh, we now have like 11 or 12 breweries. It's just like been wow. phenomenal. But the original one and one that we all love, it's called Mothers, Mothers Brewing. And they, they're getting into quite regional distribution now. So if um, you could probably find it if you're ever around Kansas City uh, into Iowa. But they released about six weeks ago called barrel aged von schrog 
And it is a stout imperial double oatmeal, 12.3% ABV. Let me just say one is about all that you can do. And uh, my brother, they have this beautiful backyard at the brewery, just this huge open space. And you take your lawn chairs down. They've got music playing on a Saturday afternoon. And, And my brother met me down there. And we just, we each sipped on one in the spring sunshine. And it was a beautiful, beautiful beer. I love it. The way you described that, did you have to have a knife and fork with you on that one? Just about. <laughs> Just and remember, about. I'll have the sandwich, please. And, and remember those ABVs, just like anything else. They're just guidelines. Just guidelines. <laughs> it was to say we sat out in the sunshine for a long time before we <laughs> oh, yeah. before you stood up. Yeah. <laughs> My most recent, there's a brewery that we love out in uh, Waukesha. It's called Raised Grain. Oh, fantastic. Uh-huh. And we went there last weekend and they have a Belgian triple that's called <sighs> their Bird's Eye. Ooh, bird's yeah, Eye Bird's triple. Eye Triple. It's a 9%, but it is sweet and it is so good. And I had that and I'm like, whoo, that, <laughs> yeah. that was much. So, but it's, yeah, that one's one of my favorites. Yeah. Usually when we're at conventions, you know, we always bring a couple of our favorite craft beers and we sit in the lobby or the patio <laughs> and we kind of exchange and we kind of do our own tasting. So yep. I had to at least do it virtually and kind of makes me feel better. So a little early <laughs> in the morning, so maybe we don't open well, it's Anything. noon somewhere. <laughs> Absolutely. Noon somewhere. So you have a connection to variety attractions uh, when you kind of first got started in the fair industry, right, Marla? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think most people know, but just to refresh, I actually started working at Ozark Empire Fair in Springfield, Missouri in 1977. Uh, you know, I was all about the the cows, the quilts, and the cookies, uh, livestock and exhibits, and that was, that was my specialty. But in 1983, our fair was about ready to fail. Thank goodness for some a strong board of directors and a very dedicated gentleman, my mentor, Dan Fortner, um, decided that he was going to save the fair. And so in 1983, after no experience whatsoever, I was named the assistant manager. And, and so I got thrown into the world of uh, booking entertainment. Um, and so, yeah, so we had some <laughs> connections with variety. I mean, let's face it. I mean, ask me anything you want about livestock, quilts, cookies, all of that stuff. But I didn't know a single thing about entertainment. I'd never seen a writer before. Oh, my goodness. Uh, it was just like throwing a lamb to the wolves. <laughs> but but certainly we had great, uh, great uh, connections with Mr. Moffat over the years and just wonderful, wonderful time uh, working with all of the different producers and, and agents. It was it was a phenomenal time. It really was. Do you have a uh, favorite George Moffat story? Certainly at uh, conventions. He was the king of hospitality. You just loved him. That's all there was to it. He, mm-hmm. he truly a fabulous, fabulous man. But uh, you know how it is. Some of those hospitality suites, sometimes we also don't have many memories of what transpired in those things. Oh, really? <laughs> Back to our first conversation. Yeah. <laughs> like I say, the <laughs> hospitality was legendary. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So then when you first started out and they threw you to the wolves, what was a couple of the first shows that you booked? Oh, my gosh. So 1983, that was the year. And I remember two in particular from that year. We had the Judds and that was on opening day, 1983. And we also had George Strait. The Judds, 1983, I mean, such such delightful people, but they they really were new on the scene. 
and they didn't have enough songs to do a 60 minute set. And so little did I know that their delaying tactics to get on the stage were because they didn't they didn't have enough music, you know, and everybody backstage is getting shows time to start time to start. But back in the day, our philosophy was we did two 60 minute grandstand shows, one at two o'clock, one at eight o'clock. They were free to the public, you know, once you paid your admission to get in. And so we did our two o'clock show. And <laughs> why Nona? I mean, she was just a teenager, right? Mm -hmm. I can still hear her. Mama, mama, I want to go ride the rides with the boys. Mama, (laughs) I want to go ride the rides with the boys. And of course, you know, again, I said, I'd never even seen a rider before. And we thought we were doing the really hospitable thing to take them over to the pork chop house uh, so that they could have a pork chop meal. And quite honestly, they, they, they loved it. Our pork producers um, had this, you know, standalone old style restaurant. And so they had a pork chop dinner in between and then uh, did their two o'clock and eight o'clock shows. But it, it was fun, you know, and and nice to remember um way back when, you know, when you're just getting started. And same thing for George Strait. He had no stage presence whatsoever. Uh, In fact, someone said after the two o'clock show, they said, that boy is so slow. He is so like standing so still that a slow carpenter could build a box around him. He was just, (laughs) he had had no stage presence. He just look at what he's become now. So maybe we had a, maybe we had a shot at at giving him that chance for stardom. I don't know. (laughs) And I don't know, he hasn't really changed his stage presence. So that's a pretty Uh, big box. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So Marla, when you were first, uh, like Justine was mentioning, when you were first starting out and booking and, you were kind of thrown to the wolves and you were looking at these riders. Do you remember some of the things you were looking at that you were just like shaking your head? What is this? I mean, were there, could you kind of recollect any of those? The big one for us, always the fact that there was always a request for alcohol and we were a no alcohol on the fairgrounds prohibited by law. And that was always, you know, that was always one of those. And it, 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 you know, it was just a challenge and I had no choice would say, I'm sorry, I understand that you want a six pack of Heineken or whatever it was, but we simply cannot serve alcohol on the ground. It is illegal. And, and um, I remember before I was named assistant manager, um, we had finished the show and someone had snuck in some beers and I was sitting in the arena drinking one and I was promptly told <laughs> that this will be the last time that you will ever be consuming alcohol on the grounds because it is illegal. So, you know, I was like <laughs> straight and narrow, but you know, it ranged from the ridiculous to, uh, and I finally understood, I will have to say, I finally understood from a performer's point of view, like if it's Wednesday, it's chicken, you know, if it's Thursday, it's salmon. And, and I was thinking like, well, that's ridiculous. But then I thought, no, if you have to have a routine, that makes some sense. But it took me a while to get to that point. But, you know, there was always the, the alcohol and I'm sure somewhere along the line, there was the proverbial M&Ms, but take all the red ones out. I, you know, that we just have all, we've experienced all of those things, but it was a challenge for us for many years, just because we did not have the resources to get the, the catered food in. And, and eventually we found ways to do all of that and, and make it happen. But I do recall one in the latter years, oh my goodness, they wanted vegan everything. And we'd like to have never found it in Springfield, Missouri to try to find someone who could really, but we did. I mean, we came 
through with it. There were some challenges with with the catering because we we really like to just send them to the pork chop house or we would bring pork chops over, but not everybody went that for, for that. Were there times that you had performers asking for your best fair foods? Because yeah. I remember when Justine and I dealt with Reba, mm-hmm. Reba actually asked us and her tour manager, Marnie, would say, yeah, it would be great if you could get us some corn dogs and cheese curds cream and cream puffs. puffs. And and I think I've seen <laughs> pictures of Reba enjoying a, a corn dog or mm-hmm. two. I've, I've heard that about her specifically, that she's really, really good. And, you know, that's that's interesting. And, and I know you guys dealt with it a lot more than I did, but it was interesting over the years. I can still remember two performers, two acts that wanted to meet me. Otherwise, you know, it was like, I, you know, I signed the checks, passed them off to somebody to give. But I actually had. That's why they wanted to meet you. You signed the check. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, but this one was different. They, they hmm. both said uh, and what was um, Kathy Matea wanted specifically just wanted to meet me and say thanks for having me. I thought that was fabulous. And then I'm sure they, they weren't didn't play much at, at, at your fair, but writers in the sky talk hmm. about showmen. They were wonderful. And we had them several times and they always wanted me to come backstage to just say, and they just wanted to know how the fair was going. And that always stuck out with me, you know, uh, because they, they really uh, were genuine in just wanting to, to find out how things were going and to thank us for having them. Mm -hmm. Was there ever a time, Marla, that you brought in an act that you really wanted to (laughs) see? And then after you met them, it was kind of like, uh, maybe not again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say, not really. And, and mainly because I figured out very quickly that I needed to isolate myself from from backstage. I, you know, for the first couple of years, I was dutifully going back and passing out checks and money and stuff like that. But for the most part, uh, just because of our organizational structure, I, I didn't I didn't do that. But I, I do recall booking an act that I really wanted. She was great. I mean, personally, she was wonderful, but I learned very quickly that I could not rely on my own instincts for what kind of music I liked at the fair because I I was surrounded by all of my friends. And and we at the time we were involved in some athletic endeavors, putting on an adventure race and things like that. We were all into biking and running and hiking. And everybody said, oh, Sean Colvin, Sean Colvin's great. And I said, oh, man, I love Sean Colvin. Do you think she would be good at the fair? And you've got to get her. You've got to get her. And I booked her for a Saturday night. And let me tell you, I could sing in the grandstand on a Saturday night in Springfield and you'd have at least half a crowd because it's Saturday night. But I think that it was myself and eight of my friends that were there to see Sean Colvin. She did a fabulous show and she was wonderful to work with. But I I learned um, I needed to listen to other people and and book what they wanted (laughs) rather than my own taste. Okay, so you said. The fair was a dry fair, so you didn't serve any alcohol on mm-hmm. the fairground. Mm-hmm. Did you ever have an experience where the crowd snuck it in and you had a rowdy crowd and had to kick them out? Well, didn't kick them out, but but probably it was one of the most frightening most frightening evenings of my entire career. And, and we had it happen on a regular basis. And, but thank goodness, most of the time, people were well-behaved in what they did. But my last year, in fact, it was the very last concert of my fair career in uh, 2003, had Ted Nugent booked on a Friday night. 
And, you know, we, uh, by that time, we had a new grandstand, we had 8,000 capacity, we sold about 2,500 of those reserve tickets, and then the rest were free. So we always still had this rush of people to come in. So again, Friday night, man, we had sold out every bit of the reserve seats, people were lined up to get in at six o'clock, and they were of the particular crowd that liked to have flasks in their boots and bags. And we didn't have bag check or anything like that. Well, a couple of circumstances resulted in us delaying the show. We opened the gates at six, supposed to start at eight. So first of all, at seven o'clock, the most intense lightning storm in all directions, 360 degrees all around us. I was in constant, constant contact with the weather service. And you could just see these tremendous bolts of lightning going. And we were trying to get people to to leave the grandstand. You know, your seats are fine. Get into the buildings, get into shelter. Nobody would move. Nobody would move anywhere. I'm terrified that we're going to have a situation complicated even further by the fact that Ted Nugent had to have a root canal done in Springfield prior to the show. So he was not a happy camper (laughs) at all. Not a happy camper. So you got this lightning all around. You have some uh, 8,000 attendees, many of whom have been consuming and consuming and consuming. And Mr. Nugent, we're delaying the show as long as we can, as long as we can, because we're hoping, you know, that that the rain goes away, the lightning, all of that. We finally got the show in, but I was sick to my stomach. It was the most frightening thing on every single front. And those people, you know, so you can imagine aluminum bleachers, right? Bound, 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 bound. The noise of them just demanding that he come on stage was it was awful. <laughs> and I'm sure because it's the Motor City Madman, the Nuge, <sighs> yeah. I'm sure that was a very interesting show as well. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, first of all, so 2003, and, and we knew he was going to do this. This was probably the most unusual thing in his rider. We had to get fire department permission because he set up a target with Osama bin Laden's face on it and shot a flaming arrow into it <laughs> at the end of the show. Yes. And it was also one of the very few times we had complaints about the volume level uh, of our show. And I can still remember this. I said, this has got to be impossible. But the weather must have been just right because it came from like two miles away. People were complaining about the volume level of the concert. So miles. Yes, it was awful. <laughs> wow, the wind was strong awesome. that day. <laughs> <laughs> like I say, that was one night I just wanted to get it over with. <laughs> so when he was shooting flaming arrows, what if that arrow like missed the target completely? Yeah. Where was that arrow going? Yeah, was it into the crowd or on no, stage? No, uh, okay. no, because in order for the stage to see it, It would have been, uh, see, I always get my stage right and stage left. If I'm looking at the stage, it would have been at the very back right-hand corner. And so so, it would, if it would have gone any farther, it would have gone out into, you know, behind the stage. In fact, it wouldn't even been close to our trailer that served as our green room. I think it would have just hit the ground. (laughs) The poor runner would have got a arrow. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) So then besides uh, your concert that you wanted to book that you loved that only eight people showed up, what was one of the shows that you booked that was 
fantastic. Like one of your favorites that you booked that you just was so great. Well, I think, you know, we, we got Trace Atkins at just the right time. Um, he had just come off the oil field. He had a couple of hits. Everybody loved him. He put on such a tremendous show. I just remember, of course, you know, here I am, the queen of safety. I was scared to death because he was climbing up all of the structure. He was so athletic and a big guy. Um, and he was great. He, he, he really was a great, great performer and people truly loved him. Um, and, you know, and then I, I, I don't want to take personal responsibility for it but with some of our uh, volunteers and advisors we booked doc severinson which at the time nobody in the fair world booked anything like that and everybody thought we were crazy but it really worked very well for us you know he he had just been off of the tonight show just a little while so still very much a name put on an absolutely fabulous show and it, it turned out turned out really 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 well for us so um you know we had some good ones over the years we just manage most of the time to catch somebody right on that cusp of the up and coming mm-hmm. um but i remember and i think it was the second time i had trace atkins I, I think I was just like terrified because we'd never spent so much money on an act before. And, and, you know, it just gave me ulcers because with the free show, you really had to drive a lot of people through the gate. And one of the benefits of having a free show was you would have people that maybe they wouldn't even go into the grandstand, but they could say, Oh yeah, I was there. You know, it was when Trace Atkins was at the fair, you know, or whatever. So, um, so we got lucky a, a few times, but I, uh, after that Sean Colvin incident, I always managed to, you know, I had great conversations with our local radio stations. We always partnered with local radio stations who could promote the heck out of it. Cause that was, you know, back before social media, mm-hmm. I'm an old fair chick. <laughs> Bruce, did you ever mature, mature, <laughs> mature. Did you ever book someone that you loved? And then it was just like, womp. Yeah. They have hits and they have everything. But when you do something like that, you're trying to attract a certain audience that might not go to the fair. So it's kind of a, a 50, 50 shot. And the, the show was great. Just like you mentioned Marla about <laughs> Sean Colvin, but you, you try to get that younger audience and a little, you know, kind of hipper crowd to the mm-hmm. fair. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So Marla, a lot of people that listen to podcasts and, they love hearing stories about the artists and backstage and things like that. People don't realize that a person in your position, when you're booking a fair also books grounds attractions, you know, where does the sea lions come from and where does the stilt walkers and where do the racing pigs and all of that, mm-hmm. but dealing with them have their own set of stories as well. I mean, it's, it's not always just the main stage act. It's also these grounds attractions. Can you share any stories from that side of the business? Roving uh, streets at street access, which we used a lot of our, our fairgrounds actually was pretty small. So other than a petting zoo and racing pigs, we didn't do an awful lot with statics uh, ground shows, like, you know, three shows a day type of thing. But what we really uh, what we really operated on were, were the the, um, the street entertainers roving, and we did a couple of things with them. We had a we had a daily parade, and so it was that was always fun to have the menagerie of all of your street entertainers and all of that. We learned very quickly that if you have someone on stilts, they need their own private place to go change in and out of. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like you can ask them to go into the main restrooms and mm-hmm. change in and out of that. And then we worked with uh, costume characters an awful lot. 
law of our own making and design for several years we had our own theme characters and so learning how vicious and mean little boys can be um we always had to have a handler with uh you know who whoever the uh costume character was because literally little and, and no offense but it's little boys they would come up and they would knock them over they would try to trip them and <laughs> I don't know about you, but I have been inside one of those costumes because I was the kind of fair manager that I wouldn't ask anyone to do anything that I wouldn't do myself. Mm-hmm. Our fair theme was something a magic. I can't remember the name of it, uh, but our character was a Holstein cow with the top hat and the baton, the whole magician type of thing. We, I mean, we like ordered custom character and we trained young people to do it. And I said, okay, I got to try this. It's awful. It's awful. Number one, it is hot. And if you even use two different people, it stinks like crazy after the seven day, second day. You know, it's awful. Uh, we tried cooling vests. But when you're in that costume, there's this little tiny mesh like it's maybe where the cow's mouth was. And that's all you can see. You can't see anything except just straight ahead of you. So little boys coming up and trying to trip you, it's, it, it was awful. So, you know, just learning the ins and outs of all of that. Um, I don't think we ever had anyone that was really um, a challenge to work with the street entertainers. I found street entertainers are really some of the hardest working people uh, in the entertainment world. And they have to be because they're almost everything about them. It's all physical type of activity. Uh, You're outside in all kinds of weather, unpredictable circumstances. And everyone I worked with were just absolutely amazing. We use them to pull people into certain areas. Uh, We use them to distract if we had something going on somewhere. Uh, I just, I found that group of folks were an absolute joy, joy to work with. And we, you know, we tried some pretty crazy things and everything that we did, but they were really fun. One of the problems that we would run into at the fair is you have like, the rogue street entertainers that you actually didn't book and they just showed up trying like spinning plates trying to take (laughs) tips did you ever encounter anything like oh yeah absolutely absolutely did but i also have to say i played a a prank on a fair one time doing exactly that and yeah so in way back in the 1980s ife actually organized a fair trip to australia and my manager at the time, Dan Fortner, he went on that trip and he came back. He said, I saw the greatest thing and we're going to do it here. And it was like secret agents. Right. So think 1980s. You know, we're all about Russian secret agents and all of that. And so it was like we found a character, a guy in a black suit and then a woman, you know, that they looked like kind of Russian agents and all they would do would be to go around and they, they would act like they were talking into little walkie talkies on their hand or something. <laughs> and they would look around and people were, they just captivate them. So we decided we were going to pull a prank on Missouri state fair. <laughs> so, <laughs> my livestock director, who was this really tall, swarthy looking gentleman, very, very serious. He had on his black suit. I had on a black pantsuit. We got a local car, car guy that had a limousine <laughs> to drive <laughs> us to Sedalia, talked our way into the gate, pulled that limousine right down in front of the grandstand at the Missouri State Fair. And then we started going out and you never say a word to anybody. You just, you know, you just, but, but you're so out of place with everybody. Well, 
they turned the tables on us because I can't remember who the assistant manager was, but or PR person, she came up and she recognized me. So the next thing I know, there are Missouri State troopers that come <laughs> roaring up in their car with lights on and they handcuff us and oh. take us away. Wow. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. And those those guys, they aren't messing around. No. either. No. <laughs> but it was so elaborate. Fun- it, it was it was so funny and it was so much fun to do. We have laughed and laughed about that over the years. That's it was hilarious. hilarious. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So now that you're CEO of IAFE and now you're kind of doing different kind of events because they're conferences and conventions, what is that? backstage look like and what kind of stories of debauchery can you tell us about <laughs> you know setting up the conference or the convention or yeah. thing, you know goofy things that happen from like that side of the yeah. business yeah sure so well you know it's kind of like at our fairs um we really don't want anyone to ever know how the magic really is made because most of the time it's not pretty. Um, But, but I will tell you a couple of things um, and anybody that's been in the business, they probably recognize we very rarely use musical entertainment anymore um, in terms of like our big general sessions. When, when I, I started to say when I was growing up, which literally was um, you know, we would always have some act and the agencies would vie for who got to, to have that. But what we found was for, a morning session that required an act to be backstage and doing sound checks at like 5 30 or 6 a.m in the morning and most acts do not want to do that mm-hmm. it required staff to stay up almost all night long in order just to do that one thing and and just you know for five minutes, 10 minutes worth of songs. We just decided there are better ways to do things. So we don't do that. But what I hope people see is organized chaos behind the stage, getting awards, presenters, all of those types of things. I tell you what, it, there is a script and it's down to the minute who's going to do what, what they're going to say. And we have to have handlers backstage. We're so lucky we have volunteers that come and um, uh, Pam Simon and T- Teresa from uh, Teresa Weinferner from Minnesota State Fair have been volunteers and they've got the headsets on and the clipboards and they're making everything run like magic back behind there. But although I didn't personally do this, Kate Turner, our director of meetings did probably the most unusual request was when the Showman's League had a banquet when we were still in Las Vegas and we had to get an elephant into the ballroom. And that was quite an interesting Mm. endeavor. And we actually made it happen. Well, (laughs) tell us. Cargo doors, you know, those big overhead roll-up doors and they're used to moving. And so uh, quite honestly, the hotel was very good to work with and whoever brought the elephant, they just walked it all the whole backstage brought it into the corner of the ballroom and it was used for photos. Uh, they, they used a, a real life elephant for photo drops. They just had a bag of peanuts and yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's messy. Oh no, they, she, she was well-behaved. So they, well, I know, it, but like it's an animal. It, could it go, is. Could go crazy. Yeah, it could, but yeah. she, she was well-behaved, but you know, certainly um, liability cool. was top of mind. Uh, yeah. Then probably also in Las Vegas, <laughs> we, um, for several years, um, one of the companies in New York donated one of those life-size um, K-12 
cows, milking cows for mm. our auction, our fundraiser. And so that involved a couple of things. Number one, the cow was shipped here to our office in Springfield, Missouri. It was loaded onto a truck. Um, Max Willis and, and Steve Seaver would drive the truck from Springfield to Las Vegas, and it would be unloaded in the convention center area, the, the big trade show area. But we had to get it through the casino, through the hotel, up a freight elevator, <laughs> up to wherever the, the auction was being held. And that always raised quite a bit of eyes trying to get that to take place. But, you know, one of the things about our convention. That's utterly ridiculous. Utterly, yes. Yeah. So one of the things about our trade show is that we have, we, we really have quite an unusual trade show because, you know, you you've do. got. You've got wrestlers, you've got Chubby Checker, you've got stilt walkers, you've got people with everything from rattlesnakes to monkeys to dogs to whatever animals. It makes for an interesting um, conversation with the convention center or the hotel when you go over everything that you're going to have and have happening in there. Sometimes they're like they, they don't even believe you until they see it. And then everybody, everybody on staff wants to come to the trade show because they want to see all these crazy things that it's are happening. Freak, it's a freak show. It is. It, it really, really is. is. <laughs> I will have to say, Marla, you brought up the point about entertainers that early in the morning. Mm. And I've attended the convention for many years. And there is one band that I remember at 8 a.m. And I've told them this, one of Justine and I's favorite bands, they blew me away at eight. I was like, if they can do this at 8 a.m. in the morning and go mm -hmm. through everything you were talking about. Mm -hmm. And the name of that band is Old Dominion. I, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. Those guys were absolutely fabulous fabulous to work with that minimal as as i require they really did kind of a minimalist type of presentation in fact did the drummer did he just like have a snare and that was it yeah they they were bare bones but i i was just so impressed that they brought it at mm -hmm. 8 a.m mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. to a bunch of and we've said this before is a bunch of stodgy fair buyers <laughs> and you know and it's eight in the morning eight in the morning when they they were just like blowing the top off the night before with George Moffat and variety <laughs> attractions. Uh -huh. They, yeah, and it was, they were fabulous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if he's still with them, Nate, Nate Richie's. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yep. So mm -hmm. he, whatever his role there, but I found it also interesting and it kind of goes back to not only their willingness and their genuineness in doing that. And like you say, bringing everything they got. I was at the Deschutes County Fair in Oregon in 2018 uh, on a visit and, um, the Nate, the Old Dominion had just played like the night before and Nate wanted to catch up with me. And he said, just thank you for that opportunity. It was great. But what I didn't know was Nate was from that Redmond, Oregon area. And he had actually worked at the Deschutes County Fair as like an intern mm. and oh, had cool. that kind of a background. And so, you know, it was just super, super cool. But I also thought, you know, he he was grateful that, you know, to be able to bring the band and the band just mm -hmm. did a fabulous job. It was great. It's so great hearing that people get their start at fairs like that, how we're so we're so connected in so many ways and you meet people down the road and you're like, oh, yeah, I interned at such and such fair. And it's like, <laughs> what? No way. 
Yeah, as, all... as we get older, the world definitely gets smaller. Yeah, we're all. Yeah, it really does. It truly does. Well, and you know what? I mean, I, I, 2019, our theme for our convention on our whole year was that fairs are champions of change. And uh, we really have embraced that still that what happens at a fair in so many ways fairs change lives they really do you know that those youngsters that get that first opportunity to have a real job and they understand work ethic obviously the kids and the livestock shows bands that get that first opportunity to play you know i think about again it was what we could afford but we got lucky i mean you know i had sawyer brown just by the virtue of them coming off of that show that they had been on and and they were great you know so many so many acts that get that start they pay their dues they pay their dues that being on the road and in all sorts of environments that not always are conducive um, to what we we can provide the best setting for them sometimes it's dusty it's hot the sun's shining in your eyes but um it's a great relationship that that uh, we have between entertainers who are willing to do that and and the role that they play in our county and state fairs mm -hmm. so looking forward to 2021 the convention used to be in vegas mm -hmm. now it's moved down to texas mm -hmm. and 21's convention will look like what well, so we expect it to be normal. Um, you know, we really expect it to be normal, a strong interest in the trade show, the convention center. It should be a fabulous event. And quite honestly, it's our last, it's our last hurrah in San Antonio, uh, because beginning in 2022, the convention and trade show is going to move to somewhere different every year. Mm -hmm. And uh, we will announce that rollout about a year and a half ahead of each. We just have announced uh, in the spring of 2021 that we are going to Indiana. Annapolis in 22. Cool. And so we're very excited about that, getting a lot of great feedback. But we're excited about the final, the final hurrah in San Antonio. It's been a nice way to transition to move us from you know, to be quite honest, Vegas had become our brand. It was no longer about IAFE. Uh, it, it, sometimes it wasn't even about the convention and trade show. And, and you guys know as well as anybody else, you could be at a fair meeting anywhere and you could say, oh, you going to Vegas? Or what did you learn in Vegas? And, and it has nothing to do with Las Vegas. I mean, but it became our brand and the time had come. The city no longer wanted us. And so I think it's been good to be in San Antonio. We've had a chance for our delegates to really concentrate on being part of education, concentrate on being in the trade show and making those connections. I've, you know, I've heard multiple people say just because it was a change of venue uh, that the, the trade show looked in, you know, it looked entirely different and fresh. And I think uh, Steve Seaver on our staff does a fabulous job of keeping it that way. So we, we are looking forward to 21 and having a great convention to close out our time in San Antonio, but then looking ahead to move. And I think it's going to be fabulous that we can reach different segments of our membership by moving around. And so what a lot of people may not realize is that when we moved to Indianapolis in 22, 60% of our member fares are within a day's drive of Indianapolis. Cool. So we're looking for a change in who attends, how they attend, how, how long they stay at the show. So lots of excitement ahead. 
Hey, Marla, thanks a lot for taking the time today and joining Justine and I on Which Way is Catering and appreciate all the stories and the insight, sharing a little craft beer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, next time it's in person over beer. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's over that. And and also good luck with your podcast moving forward, Marla, by the numbers. Um, I enjoy listening mm -hmm. to that as well as Justine mm -hmm. because it's more, you know, issues in the fair industry. Educational. And, yeah, and, educational yeah. and how it can help everybody. So, you know, thanks a lot for everything you do. Well, thank you very much. It's been an honor to be a guest and you've challenged me to bring back a lot of memories. You know, I've been in this, I've been in this space for a really long time and I can't even believe, you know, I'm, I'm coming up on 17 years now away from active fair management. So thank you for uh, challenging my memory banks and remembering mm -hmm. so much of what I loved about managing a fair and the people that we had to work with and the relationships. So thanks for the opportunity. And I wish you guys the best in your podcast too. Thanks, Thanks, Marla. Marla. And, and especially during these challenging times, it's good to see a smile on your face. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's good to have one. Let me tell you. <laughs> All, All right. right Marla, well, thanks, Marla. Thank you. Okay. Bye. See you have guys soon. You. Yep. Ya. We'll see you. Have a nice weekend. Bye-bye. Bye. Bruce and I want to thank you for tuning in to our podcast, Which Way is Catering with Justine and Bruce. If you'd like to drop us a line, you can email us at whichwayiscatering at gmail.com or visit us at varietyattractions.com. A big thank you to our sponsors, Brannigan Inc. and Spectrum Weather Insurance. Which Way is Catering with Justine and Bruce? Served up by Variety Attractions, celebrating 60 years of entertainment excellence. That's fabulous.